Good morning, everybody, and welcome to um, this week's uh, MediaWorks Digital Drop-In slash Masterclass. We need to decide what we're calling them. <laughs> our minds. Um, and the title of um, this one, we're, we're, we're the second one of the year, and uh, the title of today's session is 2021, the year of the brand. Um, so um, joining... Joining the session today, we've got um, Jill Ball. Hello. Who's a managing partner in Leeds. We've got uh, Andrew Blenkinsop, who's creative director in Newcastle. Morning. And we've got Becca Tredgett, who's um, head of strategy and planning, also in the Leeds office. Um, so we, we're we all exceptionally busy. We're probably having the busiest January we've ever had at MediaWorks. So... Um, we kind of thought we'd try and keep it a bit casual today because we are literally leaping from one meeting to the next, um, which is all great because it keeps you really focused and, um, you know, um, uh, uh, um, working across a really wide range of projects. And you, you wouldn't believe that January could be so busy from uh, doing virtual conferences to, you know, getting websites live, uh, content marketing, SEO, um, you know, all firing on all cylinders. Um and so, so I guess when we when we kind of teed this up, um, we were thinking when we kind of write the titles for these things, it's often like a, it was probably before Christmas, and we, we might have had a little bit more hope that we wouldn't all be in complete lockdown again when we when we wrote the title, and we were trying to be positive and look ahead. But I do think we can all see, you know, glimmers of hope on the horizon in terms of people getting vaccinated and. You know, case numbers coming down. It's we're not out of the woods yet, but um, we, I guess, so we wanted to we wanted to look ahead and you know recognise that for a lot of businesses, 2020 was um, probably one of the most brutal um, years you'll have. There was there was obviously some real winners who who did exceptionally well and probably had some of their best years ever, but there was some uh, people that uh, had a much harder time. And um, I guess going into 2021, we wanted to kind of. You know, look ahead, think think positively, um, and kind of look at look at actions that we can take that are going to have a real impact, um, both kind of you know in the short term, but also um, you know how we, how we can build through twenty twenty one, and and I guess today we wanted to kind of um, you know talk about brand and talk about the role that brand advertising, brand marketing plays throughout your your kind of um, customer journey throughout your funnel. Um, you know the important. You know, the, I, I think I think when when times have been hard and, and we got you going into a, a tough commercial environment, uh, you know, it's more important than ever to be on point with. You know, what is your proposition? How are you unique? How are you unique? What what is um, unique about your your products? Um, how are you driving viability? Um, you know, and you know how how can you tip things in your favour? So it's got it's great having a you know really good paid search strategy, but you know if your brand is famous as well, you're going to just you know increase those conversions, increase those clicks uh, more, making sure your website experience is is working really hard for you. And I think also you know re reflecting the zeitgeist. So so you know what what are you doing as a brand as an organisation to kind of you, you know look ahead and and bring a kind of bit of positivity, bit bit of hope inspiration um that kind of thing so 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 i guess you know we wanted to kind of just kind of go through you know what, what we thought about that and the, the important things and you know the steps that you can take to to make sure that everything is um ship shape right now and how and, and if it's not and what, what you can do to kind of improve things so i think 
you know, um, the the first area that we wanted to talk about was, um, I, I think, you know, when we talk about brand and, you know, we, we might take it for granted that it's really important, but just to go and and look at kind of some of the evidence and kind of frame it a little bit as to, you know, what what is the impact of brands and, and what do they actually do for your business? So, Becca, uh, and we'll keep we'll keep it chatty, but but Becca, you go first on this one, and um, yeah, I guess. Um, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I, don't, I was just. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's quite, quite an interesting one to reflect on when we think of. I guess it's nearly a year since the first lockdown. Um, and I think that, you know, it feels, I don't know, for me, certainly, it feels a bit different because I think when we saw the first lockdown, it was literally for the first few weeks, do you remember, it was a lot of cutting spending or pausing spending on everything. And, you know, the whole kind of world went into mayhem a bit, really. Um, and then I think after that, we saw a lot of people um, come out and say, or a lot of marketers come out and say, you know, investing in brand is still really important at this time. And a lot of kind of companies coming back to that and going, we just need to stay afloat. <laughs> we just need to make sales. So I think, um, you know, and we've always said that it's really, really important to invest in your brand, um, especially at a kind of recession time, because we have previously seen, um you know, brands like P&G have always historically invested in recession time because, you know, media is cheaper, your competition aren't going out as much. But I think it's really if you didn't do it kind of up until now or you didn't do that during the first kind of lockdown, I think it is really interesting to, you know, maybe think about investing in brand again, because I think the world has kind of sadly, we've kind of learned how to deal with lockdown and it's not about everything um pausing at the moment. And, you know, the economy um, hasn't dived as much as it did originally or didn't come to a standstill so I think um, definitely it's an important time for people to think about investing in brand um, you know when you might have got your sales already underway and start thinking about um, how you can really develop that and I think like I said you know we have historically seen that brands that do invest in brand marketing and have kind of better brand health do bounce back better after recession you know you're not um you know we know that if you stop investing in advertising you tend to lose market share and it can be really hard to kind of I guess claw that back afterwards you're going to have to be working doubly as hard because you're going to be coming from almost five steps backwards Mm -hmm. so I think it's really important for brands to think about you know firstly maintaining their place um, as a priority but secondly actually you know there is an opportunity here for brands and if you are in a position where you might be able to even invest more like you know a lot of bigger companies like P&G do you can actually kind of get ahead of yourself and again like I said kind of bounce back um, better after recession so I definitely think there's a kind of um, I guess almost two elements to it that you know you kind of have to keep investing to kind of keep the cogs going and make sure you maintain your place but secondly there is that also that opportunity for growth um, yeah. and I think you know there's a lot of interesting research out there at the moment about how um, consumers are valuing brand more I think if you have a look at the um, Google released a report um, which was around the kind of messy middle and they had some stuff in there which was actually about the growth of people looking for things like you know best value and kind of best I think it was mobile phones they were looking at best mobile phones rather than just cheapest and so you can see actually consumers are being kind of driven by that brand messaging as well so I think um, yeah there's definitely a lot I think Definitely, I think there's a time at the moment for investing in brand. And I think now we've come to, I don't want to stay a bit of a more stable place, because of course we're not in a stable place, but more stable than we were in the first lockdown. Um, yeah. But I definitely do think it's th- back on the agenda. I, and I think across the board, um, 
through MediaWorks clients, we've seen the the ones that have um, you know continued to invest in advertising mm-hmm. have been have had very strong mm-hmm. um, years, and you know not 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 universally, but I think some of the ones that might have invested to try and stabilise, so that we're going to just you know mm-hmm. at the very least not have a terrible year, have actually had a surprisingly good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, without without and 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 most of those are because they've got very strong digital presence as well. So they've been, so they've been, people have been able to buy from them regardless of the situation in in lockdown. But the mm-hmm. but the brand advertising has paid dividends. Um, we're gonna the point Becca was making about messy middles and you know mm-hmm. kind of framing what your your kind of proposition should be. We'll come on to that. But mm-hmm. I think that the next the next. Um, obvious point that comes from that, from saying okay you do brand advertising because it pays dividends but um how understanding what kind of where you're at with your brand um mm. and um, and you know it, I, I think uh well jill you were going to talk about this one um yeah i think i feel like this is going to be a big section on like process and i'm probably just going to launch a heap of tools at everybody but i kind of wanted to make it as, as pra- practical as possible so people could kind of come on the webinar and then and then kind of go away and, and work through this them, themselves. So I think, yeah, if, if we're kind of looking at your current brand situation, we, we really want to get to like what are the big opportunities and what are the big uh, barriers facing the, the brand that we're looking at. So, you know, we would always say start with insight. And, you know, I think when it comes to insight, again, thinking of client conversations we've had, you, know, you can spend a, an hour, a day, a, a week, a month, months in insight. You know, there's there's a whole range of tools out there that you can use. So I think often our first kind of go to on this one is um, we, we would start with search tools because, uh, you know, the, there's a whole wealth out there that you can use. And, and, you know, not just in a way to sort of build your campaigns, but like I say, as, as a way of gathering insights. So, um, you know, take things like Google Keyword Planner. Um, you know, th- there's there's loads that you can learn from that around, you know, search volumes. Um, there's other tools out there, you know, things like Ahrefs um, that, that give you much more sort of precise volumes around, um, you know, questions being asked. Um, things like Google Trends. Yes, that's great to see how interested people are in, in your brand. But again, just just generally to look at, you know, what products are trending, what topics are trending. So it's a great way of kind of um, uh, gathering in. Just 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 to um, because I realised I've I've changed the order of what we're going to talk mm. here. So <laughs> yeah, you know, we all thought that Paul. Apologies, everyone. <laughs> I was kind and, of enjoying um, where it's going. So so, so 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 I just thought I'd interrupt to that point and do a really kind of you know uh, hopefully I'll get away with it. No one's noticed um, that I've changed the order. Um, <laughs> but um, I think when you were just talking about search there, and, and yeah. I think that, you know when we're talking about brand, um, what you know why, why would we suddenly talk about search and. Um, I think that there's there's been some really interesting research done lately, hasn't there, Becca? There we go, nice segue. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. we got away with it. If we didn't, anybody can just let us know in the Q and A section whether we actually got away with that. Um, no. that and fumble. the beauty of this is we can edit it out in the podcast, so no one will ever know. <laughs> um, um, but yes, search um, as a brand metric, I think 
everyone that worked with probably really bored of me talking about this now because I've been going on about it all the time for ages. Uh, but I think there's been lots of really exciting research um, by um, Lesbonet around how there's a big correlation uh, between your brand searches, so how many people are searching for your um your brand name and mm. the kind of share of market um and it is really really interesting you know kind of historically most advertisers usually look at um, share of voice so looking at how much advertising spend in the category however that is really really difficult when more brands are investing in digital you know when brands are you know potentially investing 50 percent of their budget in digital sometimes more it is very very hard for brands to get an overview so they really really struggle to firstly understand how much should you be budgeting to spend on kind of advertising and mm. um, but secondly how do you know if it's effective how do you know if you're getting that um excess share of voice with traditionally the kind of metric that you use so what um the research has demonstrated is actually you can look at brand searches compared to competitors and actually understand kind of where your position is in the market and also whether you know um, if you look at category spend actually kind of correlating that as well and understand has your activity been performing well um is it not been performing well so um there's a lot of good Kantar articles on it that I would definitely urge people to read um, that you know give um, you a lot more detail about the kind of methodology um, process but I think it is really really interesting so I mean um, I think it has been historically very very hard for marketers like I say to estimate how much they should be spending and if they're um, being effective yeah. or not. And, it, and, it, and, and I think it's always been like a real killer question uh, mm. just the question from uh, one of the attendees mm. Gabrielle um, who was that researched by it was by Kantar and Les mm. Binet um, yep. if you google it you'll you'll find it um, and I, I think you know, it was always that you kind of instinctively knew that if you had high volumes of brand search, then your brand was going to be yeah. performing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was always a lot of scepticism from more kind of established um, fields of marketing, market research. You had to do, you know, full brand trackers and this kind yeah. of thing to, mm-hmm. to get a read. And now all the data's in. And yeah, it's pretty clear that what you've got mm-hmm. in, in terms of share of search will show you your brand strength. Mm-hmm. Um, it will show you whether whether it's going up or down, and you know most importantly, it will show you how you're doing versus your competitive set as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's kind of related to search strategy, but we're here we're talking about it in terms of yeah, yeah really good read on your brand strength, yeah, and it's something that you could do, you know all the time as well you know historically you know when you're doing kind of brand health and kind of brand metric measurements you would maybe do it once a year once every quarter because it is quite an expensive thing to invest in um but you know there's no reason why you shouldn't be um looking at your search data on a more regular basis um you know to really get a read on it and really Mm -hmm. see um you know how reactive it's been to your advertising so, um, right, quick recap. So we've we've talked about, um, you know, it's very important to, to, to have a strong brand. And now we've just covered, there's a very quick and easy way, a free way of um, understanding where your brands are and do that, do that, you know, frequently, you'll get a really good hold on things. So the next bit, as we said at the start, is, is your brand on point? Is, mm-hmm. is your messaging, is, is your, your, your proposition on point? And um, I think, you know, me and, me and Blanks uh, talk quite a lot about this kind of thing. And um, Blanks is going to share his thoughts on the whole world of brand propositions. Hello, yeah, I think, you know, we do spend an awful lot of time talking about propositions. I think it's for me, you know, your brand, the brand proposition is probably one of the most important mechanics 
of your brand. Like it's one of the most important pieces. And I think just quickly, what, what do we see as a brand proposition? I think it's, you know, it's it's a way, I suppose, to to talk about yourself in a way which highlights, first of all, what's special about you. I think what, what is special? Why? What makes you different? And and most importantly, what's your USP in your marketplace? And I think those are, you know, if you can understand that, and Paul and talk about holding the mirror up against yourself and understand that, what it is that makes you different in your marketplace, that's kind of the, the, the place to start. And I think, you know, whenever we're, we're we're creating a proposition and thinking, right? Look, this is what we're going to. This is what we're going to play around in. This is going to be everything that we explore as a brand. I think it's also important to think about a word that Paul uses: is emotional playback. You know, it's about what is your brand going to make somebody feel. And I think if you can kind of spend the time investing in that, it will. It'll pay dividends. It becomes something that you can use and at all as a playground for your brand against everything. You can challenge it. If you could then use your brand proposition to challenge everything you do internally, everything you do externally, then it will become true, right? And there's no point in creating a brand proposition on something that isn't true because it's not going to have that kind of connection with your audience that you want. So, we, you know, we put a lot of emphasis um, on, on understanding that proposition, you know, because it's it has to be true to you, but that is the the differentiator. That is everything mm-hmm. that sets you apart in everything that you do. And I think Becca was giving me some some stats ahead of this around, you know, what is the, what is the value of that emotive connection? Because that's what we want to do. And, you know, if you think about... If you you know you're Aston Martin, you manufacture sports cars, and they are known to be the most exclusive, in my opinion, amazing cars in the world. Um, but imagine how an Aston Martin makes you feel, you know, and that is what Aston Martin doing anything that they do. They might just manufacture cars, amazing sports cars, but you know the the umbrella that you get with it, everything that they do is is to make you feel a certain way. And I think that is for me the most important attribute of a brand because mm. then it can be rolled out across. Every- that's how you build you know that brand value i think paul in my opinion yeah and then and then again all the evidence becca do you want to talk about that bit of data the ipa data about uh, about the actual value of emotion yeah definitely um ipa did some research with thinkbox around kind of um, emotional campaigns versus rational campaigns and found that um, you know over a long-term period we're looking at kind of three years plus there's a much much bigger profit effect from emotional campaigns um, and i think that's kind of we do see that in a lot of the research out there that rational campaigns drive very kind of short-term sales um a bit of a kind of sales bump but then if you start looking at kind of more brand emotional campaigns that's very much about kind of driving that long-term sales growth as well and kind of building a brand for the future really mm. yeah great when you think about that Paul, you know we I can't remember where I was. We went. I went to some seminar or lecture, and it spoke about you know that um, the emotional response or the emotional trigger that you do, and that might be in a piece of content that you create. And the way that somebody articulated it to me was, if you if you imagine the things that you remember the most, you know, it's it's either at a point in time where you are really really happy, really really sad, really really excited, you know, really really scared. And I think it's it's actually it's like a whole it's like a whole webinar in in one go. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, you know, because you, you can then, you know, if you think about that emotive connection, whether it's content, whether it's creative, whether it's messaging, everything just draws back to it. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, that emotive aspect, Becca, is, is massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so and, uh, we've got a question in from an, an anonymous attendee. It's always mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they said, is there an argument, sir, brand can only really be what the customer says it is, not what you say it is? Um, well, yeah, because the customer's got to feel something. The point of all um, marketing isn't to make us feel good, it's to make, a, mm-hmm. it's to make our audience feel something. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, but we can, we, can, we, can, we can plan, we can strategize, and we can, we can steer how mm-hmm. we want people to feel. Uh, and you know, so we can definitely influence all of that. But unless mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's got to be the impact that it had on the on the consumer, um, the rest of it is just planning. So yes, good point. I was going to say, um, add in there a lot of what we do as well. We'll be looking at audience insight as well to make sure that our proposition is rooted in the consumer and it is yeah. very centric. Uh, Absolutely, you know. Well, when when you're developing a proposition, it's based in your truth as a business, mm-hmm. the truth of your products, the truth of how how you are as people. So it's reflecting something that is true already, and then you're trying to anticipate the feeling that's going to give to to someone. And like mm-hmm. Becca said, um, understanding how people feel anyway, you, you you can then start making your proposition align into mm-hmm. the, the the audiences that you're going for. So yeah, um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, it's mm-hmm. not all data. Um, uh, it's not all, all hard data and graphs. Sometimes we're using data to understand emotion and that kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so having having looked at our propositions, um, I think I think and and you know talked about the theory. Then how how was we going to twenty twenty one and how, how do we how do we turn that into looking at what our opportunities are and start to prioritise things? And I think this is what Jill was going to cover. Um, when I interrupted it before. But yeah, I, was kind of, I suppose I was thinking if you've got a good read on where you're at as a brand, but then this is more about, you know, where you want to get to. And like you say, rooting this in some kind of truth and evidence. And that could be a lot of insight around the the lives of your audience and how they're behaving, you know, and what they're interested in. So, you know, I mentioned a, a few of the search tools and, you know, like I, I kind of just started talking about Google Trends and saying, okay, it's great to get a, a read on your current brand, but also, you know, turn to tools like that to get a really good feel for the topics that they're interested in, the kind of, you know, the, the products that are trending. Um, and also, one, you know, one that we often use quite a bit is um, also asked, we've also got answer the public, but again, just get into the heart of what it is that people are asking questions about and, you know, what they're interested in and then just trying to, because it's all about, you know, finding a, a, a kind of role for you in the lives of those audiences. So I think I think search is a great starting point. You know, we, we talked there about more, more of the emotional kind of things. And I think social is often an outlet for people to go on and kind of express how they're feeling. So I'm sure uh, many people like us have, have, have used lots of social listening tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that can give you a really good read on how people feel about your brand. But again, you know, the, what they're interested in. Um, and, you know, I know some of those can be a bit costly, but you're just simply going on to Twitter and, and, and having a look there or you know, looking on Instagram, uh, sort of hashtags, again, is, is a great way of sort of um, inspiring, you know, and trying to trying to find this sort of purpose that, that, that you're looking for. So a heap of stuff to go out there in, in terms of search and social. I think that social stuff, Bill, um, sorry, mm. is really like super powerful. Yeah. I think, because 
it's, you know, going back to the comment that we said before around, you know, it, or it, it's not what you see, or it's what your customers say. There's mm. a million conversations happening about you that you don't even know about. You know, yeah. that, and if you dig into that, you'll probably understand truly how your brand is being perceived, what's being said about your brand. And we're doing as much as we possibly can to go and try and find those conversations and yeah. looking at this, the, the sentiment and then analysing the content of it because you can find some absolute gold out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the combination of those two that's the powerful thing because you might search in a certain way and that might be a little bit more functional, but, you know, because you're trying to find something. But like I say, social can give you a much, you know, better feel for, um, yeah, sentiment. Feel, isn't it? It's the, the most honest and genuine conversations mm-hmm. that happen out there. Probably yeah. one I didn't even want to see. Yeah. see them yeah and i think if you could then kind of combine that with um doing a similar exercise but looking at your competitors and and then and then yeah. also kind of you know always looking at trends you know what is going on in the world you know what what is actually trending um and, mm-hmm. and you see you soon get a set of stuff that says this is where my brands are this is what people are saying about it oh mm-hmm. there's a big opportunity over here that yeah. my competitors are talking about but maybe there's a gap in the middle that no one's spotted yet yeah and this is how we go about then prioritizing and saying okay mm-hmm. well that's our opportunity so let's let's now and, and once you spotted something like that we're then into it, 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 well that's that's when we're into our, our kind of channel planning and creative development yeah exactly and you, you know gathering all of that insight like I say you get to you sort of clear opportunities um I think ch- channel choice is often quite a tricky balance you know you've you've you probably uncover quite a, you know a, a huge range of channels that your audience are in there's probably some really exciting ones in there but I think it's then just taking a step back and you know looking at your objective really focusing in on your budget and you know that have you actually got the spend to to play in all of these channels and not forgetting that if you're going to be in it you've got to have creative and content that goes with that so there's no point being spread across everything you know if if, if you haven't got the budget for that so um it's it's really it is really a balancing act you know understand your audience understand where they're going and then it's really putting together that that mix and I think some of that comes back to, you know, sort of overlaying that and, and planning against your journey as well and that, that whole experience model, you know, exactly what these channels are doing, what role are they going to play, you know, what's there for performance versus what is there for the, the bigger sort of brand growth jobs. Yeah, and, and often often with our clients, we'll, we'll try and get to a kind of plan when we're looking at opportunities and barriers as part mm-hmm. of a plan where we might have about seven things that we're trying to do which could be a mix of uh, different channels different formats but different messaging it yeah. could be that we say okay that this product needs to needs to change or the or, mm. or, or needs to evolve or it might be that we need to go back and sharpen our proposition our overall brand mm. proposition yeah. so we'll often end up with seven or so different things that can then be here's our actions for the mm. next six months 12 months mm-hmm, exactly well, I, I don't ever like going back on something we just spoke about, but I, I was trying to think of where we've had a conversation around that aspect of competitor analysis and, and mm. why I do it, and you just touched on it. And it, it took us back to a conversation I think me you and Andrew had about a year ago, and that idea of, you know, what's the purpose of competitor analysis? And you talk about trying to find an opportunity. You know, the purpose of looking at your competitors is absolutely not to do what they do. Um, and I can't remember where we were, where we were, Paul, but when you said it, because you end up just fueling their conversation if you're not going to be different, and you add yeah. to that, and you almost help start to help build their brand equity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Competitor analysis aspect isn't all oh, right. That works for them. Let's do more of that. It's about right. There's our gap. Yeah, That's exactly. It. It's finding a gap, but also I'd say don't just look at your 
direct competitors you know look at look broader look at your peers look at the game changers you know the challenges because often that's a good starting point for more creative and content inspiration as well well and it can also surface things like trends so you know you as a Mm -hmm. consumer are buying lots of different brands and if everybody is talking about the environment and sustainability then that that can come out as a trend that you might you you, you might be looking like the brand that isn't isn't quite right so Mm -hmm. it can it can indicate um you know where you should go I I think the competitor one is really interesting the best one I ever worked on like that was we worked on power gen which Mm -hmm. became eon eventually Mm -hmm. and um Basically, PowerGen's advertising budget, um, basically they worked out when British Gas was going to advertise and they just stopped all the spend while British Gas were <laughs> advertising and then turned on when they weren't um, mm. because British Gas weren't weren't doing a very good job about getting people to buy British Gas. They were just yeah. making everybody think about switching. Yeah. So all mm. PowerGen had to do is be there and go, hi, mm. hi, we're, we're cheaper. And just and get all the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, looking at competitors is, is very important and it's looking at a gap. It's looking mm-hmm. at what the opportunity is not, not to follow because if you follow, you can often end up, um, well, you just, you, you just end up in a, in, in a probably in an unnecessary fight sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's even the channel stuff, what you said there, um, Jill, about looking out at non-direct competitors, you know, mm-hmm. as, we, as you start to then take your brand onto channels and start to try and apply it and put it into a market, you, you know, you couldn't be more right in terms of you know you might your brand proposition might stand out if you sell footwear you know and, and you might be bang on in the market of footwear but the minute you take that out on the channel you've got to stand out against the, the people that do dresses the people that also sell holidays yeah. so actually that is where that emotion like you know that that deeper kind of oh i'm into this brand it's that's where it really does come into play so yeah. looking non-directs is that aspect Becker of understanding your audience? Not yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, as we're reminiscing on some of our favourite marketing things, people have said to us. <laughs> I was about to say probably in line with what you're saying, Andy. But I remember when Facebook started getting big. I remember we always used to say that you have to be more interesting than people's friends on Facebook. So you're not even competing with brands now. You're competing you with their friends. With their friends. <laughs> another easier in some people's cases. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you come with another photograph of somebody's dinner. Yeah, a good question uh, come from one of the attendees. Uh, Jill, by the way, I'm conscious of the fact that you've got a bit of a hard stop, so if you go, just feel, yeah, feel free I've, to... Yeah, I've got another go. 10. I'm good. All right, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, so someone's asked a question. Is there anything that you can do if a competitor copies your strategies, or will it be a case of positioning where they are not? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? Do you want my worthy answer or my realistic answer? Both. <laughs> my worthy answer would be, well, if you have a unique proposition, then your competitor shouldn't be able to copy your strategy. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think... I'll give you the real one. <laughs> the real one is um, you might just have to act differently. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, and but I think that that does come back to your proposition because I think when people start start being like you, um, I, uh, this is a conversation we have a lot of, around when people say, you know, what's our USPs? Our USPs have got to come through, and sometimes you haven't got a USP. Mm. Um, you know, my power gen British gas example I just gave there, gas is is the same. It comes out of your what's okay. it come out of your cooker, mm-hmm. your boiler. The gas is the same, what you're selling. So mm-hmm. everything else is just mm-hmm. how you're going to be different. Mm-hmm. So it's how you differentiate yourself, you know, or, or, or being distinctive. You know, if you think about um, 
great advertising within within really competitive categories. So think about like mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So like O2 have just done the best job of creating a very distinctive brand mm-hmm. um, uh, attitude, look, everything. And you know, and and and, and that's how they counter. So you you, you look at a, a, a really competitive category, and people have just carved out their own space. Now, if someone mm-hmm. starts overlapping into it, well, do you pivot or mm-hmm. or actually? O2 doing a really good job. There should be no way Vodafone could ever go and compete yeah. because they're mm. never going to be credible. Mm. So, mm. what do you think, Blanks? Yeah. People copying. Um, well, you know, people copying it's, it's flattering, isn't it? At first, and I think that you know, as you say, if you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change our approach to them because someone was copying. I, I don't think I would, to be fair. I mean, yeah, I get what you say. If you start to lose market share and then they mm. find edge, you know, how so many copies you immediately and start saying the same things as you, right? What, how, what They'd have to find an edge to take your market share. Mm-hmm. That's expressed before, Paul, that was price, right? And what I would, I, I would then just relook at myself and say, okay, well, I, I can't beat you on price, but I can beat you on this. And mm. just make sure that you you kind of, you're tailoring your message to to, to, to beat them, not match yeah. them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it does go back to that proposition. How would you do that? Will you go back up your proposition and say, well, why do we think we're awesome? And then we'll just go, then we'll go hard on that. And, you know, sometimes it's like you're, you're, at the end of your proposition, your emotional payback might have been to, you know, delight people or inspire people or give people confidence or whatever. And mm. and and someone else might have caught you up. And, and in which case, you know, mm. it might be time for a new product line. It might be mm-hmm. time for a new service. It might be time mm. to... Have a bit of a pivot because you're not you're not inspiring and giving confidence in the way that you used to. Mm. You know, so, so yeah. you have to you, you know you do have to keep moving as a business and mm. and you have to make sure your brand is keeping up with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just a final thing, and we will we'll kind of wrap up in five minutes or so. Um, I think it's you know all all this talk of brand is great, um, and then you get into a meeting and someone says yeah, but you know it's all the performance channels that are, that are delivering all the results, and mm-hmm. you know we're not going to where, where are we going to get this budget to spend on brand? And it sounds mm-hmm. like it's a bit you know so so what 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 do we what do we recommend there, Jill? Um, I th- yeah, I mean we we do a lot of performance marketing. So and you know we totally appreciate that is often the go-to and I, and I think especially in years like this and you know we're in challenging times. But kind of to Becca's point earlier, you know it's 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 those that are really investing in their brand as well and creating stronger brands that are going to recover better as as they kind of come out of this recession. So um you know I I, I think there's also things that brands can do that performance marketing can't necessarily do so you know like your your baseline sales that's 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 what's going to improve you know by in, in investing in things like brand campaigns hero campaigns <laughs> yeah and 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 also the the formats that you tend to get in in performance marketing don't really lend themselves to delivering that kind of emotional bond no, I mean I think I can't remember last time I cried over a PPC ad not to <laughs> I think there's probably been little bits in the past where people have tried to be more creative in in channels like that, but I don't think they're the, the strongest of case studies. No, I think I think if you cried a PPC, Alex, for a very different reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think yeah, hero. You know, for us, that it is it's about mass marketing. It's about. It's, it's kind of emotional priming. So actually, you know, for, for eventually when they do fall into market often as a result of what the performance marketing channels are doing, 
they already feel something about you. So why are they going to choose this ad over that? It's like I say, they've seen something in the press. So I think that's how we see it. It's kind of mass marketing, emotional priming. And like I say, see your front of mind and, and you've already got a connection by the time you're actually hit with a, a performance ad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we, we know the most effective marketing does the, you, you don't just do performance or brand. You it's do, the combination. You do both. It's a combination. Yeah, absolutely. I think about as well, Paul, if you think about, you know, so many performance marketing challenge channels hit that middle of the funnel consideration mm-hmm. research you know competitive or not like when someone's purchasing is it this one mm-hmm. or that one the value of your brand at that point is out like it's huge you know and then yeah. essentially that's going to hit your, your, your conversion so you know i couldn't agree more in terms of the two of them going hand in hand mm-hmm. the impact the brand has on all of your channels is kind of not unquantifiable but it's it and or invaluable but it, re- it really is and it, it yeah. will make every single one of them perform better mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, having made a joke about um, PPC advertising, there is that really good example of Snickers. Becca, didn't, oh, this is one of your case studies, is it not? <laughs> I mean, didn't quite make me cry. I feel like yeah. it. <laughs> but it's a brand. It's a brand yeah. campaign. Yeah. But in, I think it was PPC. more about kind of um, you know sometimes it can be good to subvert the formats, can't it? So I think there's a couple of case studies. So one is Snickers, and this was years and years ago. I was like digging around for the screenshot of it, and I don't even remember Google looking like this. Yeah, um, but essentially they um, they ran a campaign where they bid on misspellings of words, and then mm-hmm. ran an ad which was you know it is. What's their line? It's not you, no. Uh, you're not you when you're hungry. you're hungry. There you go. You know what I mean? Just nice little, and really the element of that is it's a bit PRable and it's a bit of fun. Um, but, you know, they're kind of, they use, they did that and used a, a, usually what you would see very much as kind of um, a kind of performance channel and used it from a brand point of view. And then another one that I do like to talk about as well, even though it's not so much kind of brand um, versus performance, but kind of using formats for a different way than they're usually used is the economist using um long form content on out of home in london underground mm. um, so you know where people have um high dwell time um they did um, some really interesting campaigns about kind of um two kind of arguments around specific topics like brexit and fracking and things like that but actually very long form copies so i think it's to be honest i think it's about having fun as well sometimes with those mm-hmm. formats and thinking creatively about how to use them and not just the standard way that people use them absolutely <laughs> yeah and um you know great great advertising is memorable great marketing is memorable and whether that made you cry or you learned something or made you laugh it's it, you know and and you know and uh, that's how it works great so um well i hope all the attendees have enjoyed that little uh, run around the block of uh, <laughs> talking about brands um when we finally got the order when i finally got the order correct um so i think you know five things that we'd we'd want you to take away from today is um the first bit about you know b- believe in the power of a brand to actually give long term residual benefits to your business and and you know the evidence is out there and I'll just tell you yet again to go and read how brands grow by Byron Byron Sharp um, and there's all the evidence you'll ever need to understand why how and why brands work. Um, Audit your brand metrics frequently and don't think that you have to go and spend 25 grand a year with a big research company. You can do it by looking at your search volume and your share of search versus your competitors. And the evidence is all there to say that will give you a very good read on your brand strength. Um, Number three, 
always, you know, you should have a very strong brand proposition. We create brand propositions in a way that, you know, we've learned over years and years of watching lots of people do this. We, we, know, we know the way to do it. And it's so important to have the emotional um, payback at, at the end of your brand proposition. And then like Blank said, once you've done that, that is your world in which you will create all of your other advertising. It's your playground. It's your yardstick that you're going to measure everything by. Strong propositions are brilliant, and you need to keep in a year like we're going to have next year, keep on on point with it and keep evolving it and checking it versus the competition. And if they do start encroaching your space, do a pivot. Um, look at the fourth thing, look at opportunities and barriers every six months. Try and focus on six or seven things that could be a new channel, a new, a new way of expressing a product, a new creative campaign, you know, whatever it's going to be, but keep, but, but keep doing that every six months and then you'll, you'll keep on top of all of this. Um, but, you know, from a, from a brand point of view, but, but, but just tying everything together and keeping, keeping everything really focused within your, within your marketing and advertising. And then, and then the last bit is, yeah, you know, plan, plan your brand advertising alongside your performance and um and, and keep it going and keep measuring it and keep tracking back on is it having an impact on on your brand metrics um and you will soon see that it does and you know the clients that we have at MediaWorks uh, that that follow this kind of model have had really successful 2020s and you know anticipate them having just as good if not better 2021s so thank you all for coming along um I'm sure you know our, our our business development team will will just do a little follow up with you and see if there's anything that you want to know further and see whether we can help you with 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 your business challenges and um, uh, in the meantime there's another one of these next week so so watch out for it different crew it won't be as good as this one no it will it'll be it'll be brilliant so uh, and uh, yeah have a have a good week everybody and thank you for coming along thank you everybody Thanks, cheers guys. bye bye. Now. bye.